Hi, from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics. Featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all up the fire panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Amara Enya, Democrat Kelly Fennell, young Republican Jeff Halm, and U.S. Navy retired veteran Mike Corman. Our program tonight coming to you from our own base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com and also live on our Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. So, again, wherever you are, you can pretty much find us. And if you miss us on a Sunday night, we're always right there on the website. Uh, we have a lot, uh, a lot to discuss in the next couple of hours. Primarily, uh, we're not going to spend the entire program tonight uh, talking about John McCain, but we're going to spend a portion, the first portion of the show, talking about the story that has dominated news in America for the last uh, three and a half, four days, and that is the planned funeral arrangements of Senator John McCain. It was uh, a, a major event. I think it was a riveting event for many Americans, starting in Phoenix, Arizona, and then going to the Capitol, uh, and then going from the Capitol uh, to the church yesterday, and then, of course, a private burial going on at the U.S. Naval Academy uh, this afternoon. So uh, John McCain planned this funeral. He gave everyone an opportunity who were close friends of him uh, to be there. It was a bipartisan affair. And I want to get everybody's reaction to uh, the funeral and and the, the level of coverage that the funeral received. And then we're going to talk about some of the things that were said at that. And I, I want to begin with, with our sort of card-carrying Republican night. Uh, Jeff Alm, you're the regional head of the uh, Young Republican Federation, so you talk with young Republicans. Mm-hmm. What, does, what did John McCain mean to young Republicans? You know, I think a lot of people's first experience with John McCain was, uh, you know, for those of us who were politically aware in 2000, you know, seeing the, the primaries, I don't think that many people who are my age kind of really paid attention at that point. So probably their first experience was uh, voting for him in 2008. I know that was mine. Um, I, the guy has an incredible life story. Um, he's a fine example of an American hero, and I don't use that term lightly. Um, and I think that the ceremonies um, were to, to – you know, a great way to memorialize his uh, his career and his patriotism. Mike Corman, you also joined us. Uh, you're a U.S. Army, a U.S. Navy veteran. You had the highest enlisted rank in the United States Navy, and that was sup- Master Chief, Master Sergeant, Master Chief, Master Chief. My question to you as a, as a Navy guy: What did John McCain mean to you, and what did the last four days mean to you? Well, my first introduction to Senator McCain was uh, in boot camp in 1987 when we were all taught about the USS Forrestal uh, fire, which he was intimately involved in on the deck of the aircraft carrier before he was shot down in uh, Vietnam. And shortly thereafter, we we learned about uh, uh, the uh, Code of Conduct. And John McCain's story was told during the Code of Conduct uh, during during boot camp. Uh, I, I was just... I was mesmerized by the coverage. I thought it was fantastic for an American hero. As uh, Secretary Kissinger said, a much-needed moment of unity in our country. But when you talk about the Forrestal and you talk about the Code of Conduct, 
there are there's some conflict or some you know, controversy involving that incident in John McCain's life. As someone who heard that story or have subsequently taught that story, is there anything to that story that uh, there was some questionable actions on the part of McCain at that time? My sense in reading as much as I have on the topic, those have mostly been debunked. Most Certainly the Forrestal fire uh, issues have been debunked. He was nowhere near the plane that actually lost the missile that mm-hmm. caused the fire and so many sailors' uh, lives to be lost. And frankly, I would think anyone in our country uh, who has been uh, a prisoner of war, and I have dealt directly with prisoners of war from Desert Storm back in 1991. I escorted them from the airport in Bahrain, our prisoners of war from uh, Iraq in uh, Desert Storm, Uh, There is something that happens to people that are prisoners of war, men and women, that um, if you haven't been there, you can't understand it. Uh, I have nothing but the greatest of respect for anyone that has resisted that, dealt with that. Uh, And especially I want to mention the father, his father and grandfather, both Navy admirals, four stars, first time in our country's history where we had a four-star father and a four-star son. Uh, and obviously another Navy man. That, uh, John McCain's military lineage goes back to the Revolutionary War in our country. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on everything else. Okay. Amar Anya, uh, one of our card-carrying Democrats. You are running for mayor of the city of Chicago. You're a community organizer. You're also a policy advisor. Uh, what was your take looking from across the aisle at John McCain? Well, I think what stood out to me from the watching the, the the services was the intentionality of being bipartisan and the intentionality of bringing together folks who typically would not necessarily be on the same side of issues to actually speak at the funeral um, and to give remarks. I think it was definitely a statement about how he wanted to be remembered as someone who brought people together, as someone who was willing to work across the aisle on different issues. And so that level of intentionality stood out throughout the services. Kelly Fett- Uh, You're also a Democrat. You're an immigration attorney, which is one of your areas of expertise. We'll talk here, but uh, as a a card-carrying American, what was your reaction in in watching and and hearing of the coverage? I just agree with everyone here that it was a great moment of unity that we did saw, that I think that we did see that was much needed at this time, and it does speak to the tremendous service that he has done for his country. I mean, whether or not you agreed with someone's politics all the time, I think it's very rare now, unfortunately, to see someone who actually does reach across the aisle as effectively and as often as John McCain did during his career and time in the Senate. Was there anything, let me, let me just point this out, is that uh, one of the controversial moments which took place yesterday was uh, when Megan McCain, the senator's daughter, had an opportunity uh, to speak, and it's caused quite a stir. Some people thought it was right on target. Other, people's were, other people were very offended by it. Let's listen to her remarks and get our reaction. We gather here to mourn the passing of American greatness, the real thing, not cheap rhetoric from men who will never come near the sacrifice he gave so willingly, nor the opportunistic appropriation of those who live lives of comfort and privilege while he suffered and served. America does not boast because she has no need to. The America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great. Does the does does the tone and the text of that Mike bother you in any way? Not in the least. Did it bother you, Jeff? No. I mean, there's there's a saying in Hebrew that like you know, when people are grieving, you have to let them grieve. And she's you know just lost her father. I have no problem with her remarks. Anybody on the Democratic side? 
I, I agree. Was anybody, did anybody have a second thought about whether or not all of the talks, talk of unity, which had preceded her remarks, that was definitely bipartisan, and I thought heartfelt, that basically by the tone and the tenor of what she had to say, she sort of debunked everything that had preceded it. It really was a political, bitter statement. By I, dis- her. I completely yeah, disagree. I disagree. Okay, with I want to get everybody. Well. I want to get everybody's reaction to that, and I'm sure we'll have people on the phone who will either vehemently disagree with it or agree with it. One 8229 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at BrianSellsTheDesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, before the break, I uh, made a comment about uh, John McCain's daughter, Megan McCain, and, and the comments that she made. And everyone around the table sort of uh, were sort of aghast at my comment, disagreed with my comment. So let's go around the table and find out where the disagreement was. My, by, my point was that it was a very it was a bipartisan uh, speech speeches on both sides, uh, and then it got to a point where uh, you know I thought sort of. Partisan politics came over. It was clear that a lot of what happened yesterday was really a rebuke to President uh, Trump, uh, and President Trump was not there. He was specifically told by John McCain he didn't want him there. They didn't want Sarah Palin there Hmm. for a different reason. But, Mike, uh, again, someone, I guess, should be able to pick who they want at their funeral. But on the other hand... um, uh, I happen to think that she went over the line, and you disagree with me. I, I very much disagree. I, I think um, if uh, if I look back to the campaign where uh, uh, Miss McCain's father was relentlessly pursued by Donald Trump and uh, his uh, honor and service to our country as a prisoner of war was called into question, with and that really was a horrific comment that the president made when he was uh, running for president. It completely lost me. As I was never going to support him, but I, I stopped listening to him, and I just decided that he wasn't someone that I really wanted to be okay, president. Let me, of let our me follow up on that, because you've described what happened when when Trump blasted McCain, and I was shocked by it, and I was offended by it as well. What does it say to you that he won the Republican primary, and sixty two million of people million people voted for him? They heard what he said. And you know what? Republican primary voters, at the end, they didn't care. I don't know that they that's... Ch- no, I want to ask for Mike. They, they, didn't, they didn't react the way you did, Mike. No. You were in a very, very 
minority opinion. Absolutely was. I absolutely was. I, 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 I was shocked as we watched one of the deepest Republican primary fields, 17 candidates, uh, really royalty of the American Republican Party. That's right. One by one were picked off by, uh, by, this, uh, by, by this man what is that with, with his plane showing up at campaign events. He, he won. He won. But there were there was there was an awful lot of things that occurred that shocked me and I think all of us up to up until the day he won. Um, I certainly was. Well, there were there were numerous times, Jeff. In fact, if you were on this program, there were numerous times that Donald Trump said something or did something. And we all agreed around this table. Oh, my God, he's finally done it. He's finally said something that's going to get him in trouble. And it got him in trouble, but it never it never slowed him down. So my my question to, to basically to everybody, what was it about the Don, what was Donald Trump saying? Because to some extent, John McCain's politics, not his heroism, they represented something that the Republican Party wanted no part of, including losing Republican presidential candidates. Well, I mean, so there's there's two things. One, I, I did vote for, for President Trump. I was one of, I think, 50 people in my precinct in Printer's Row to vote for, for Donald Trump. It went 98% for Hillary. Um, and number two, I was a Fiorina delegate in, in the primary, right? So I came late to the support. But actually, if you come back to the, the, the way that um, – uh, John McCain was treated, and the way that that Mitt Romney was treated. I mean, these are the two first pre- uh, two first presidential elections of my adult life, and John McCain has this amazing record that we've all been discussing and saying it's a great. That did not help him one bit when he decided to run for president. All of a sudden, he was Hitler incarnate, right? Mitt Romney, also probably one of the most honorable honorable men to seek the office, also Hitler incarnate, right? And I think a lot of people saw that. And kind of tuned out the fact that, yes, President Trump says a lot of awful and untoward things, but it was kind of an existential election. Well, if you look, if you look at McCain and Romney, I think we would pretty much all agree they were nice guys. Relatively, you want to have a beer with those guys. I would. Well, I, Mitt, I, I Mitt can, doesn't drink. No, no. Well, fair enough. <laughs> I, but I, but I, I don't have that feeling about President Trump at all. I mean, I. I you know, I, I read a really interesting article in Political, Politico uh, over the weekend called Donald Trump's Funeral Problem. People don't want him at their funeral. And even just, Barbara Bush. Even just going back to, to the question about whether or not uh, Meghan McCain's uh, eulogy politicized the event. I think that Senator McCain was very intentional about making sure that people were included that represented what he wanted, this idea of bipartisanship and working across the aisle. I don't know that he would have wanted to muzzle or control what Meghan McCain was able to articulate at the funeral. I think it extended to what he could control in terms of putting together the right the people that he wanted to represent or to be president at the funeral, but right. not extending to her remarks. By the way, uh, on his ability uh, to, to, to work with, with, with the, the other side, the Democrats, can you think of any position where John McCain brought a Democrat over to his position? Torture. That's a good one. Is that the biggest one? I think that that is one that he will be forever recognized for, given the post-9-11 uh, 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 world that we are now living in and, and will live in now 
I think for our generation. And sort of on not him bringing over, but his his vote on the Affordable Care Act was sort of a last act. But he went to to their side. Precisely. So his just as a last act for him being willing to or or appearing to be willing to working across the aisle. Um, The other point that I want to bring up is just at a personal level with a daughter and her father. And this is where I connect with her. And for someone to have insulted your father uh, repeatedly. I can completely understand why she would say whatever the things that she said, because it's a personal thing. And this is the love that a daughter has for her father. Yeah. And I also I think can ap- John I can McCain would have that. supported everything that she said and agreed wholeheartedly with everything say, that say she again? said. I also think that John McCain would have agreed wholeheartedly with everything that she said. I mean, he yeah. often called for, you know, getting stuff done and just cutting out the rec- rhetoric. And I, I would be surprised if he didn't know word for word exactly what I she would, was going to say. I would probably agree with this that This thing well. was very scripted. Yes, I, 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 would probably I agree, I agree with, that, with well. that. I agree with that. Now, Mike, I, here, here's a bigger, broader question. Um, four days for a funeral, wall-to-wall coverage. Again, I think uh, Aretha Franklin sort of upstaged it for a, for a portion <laughs> yes. of that time. But again... Uh, is the, is that too much to expect? And and is the American are the American people in for uh, three or four more days, or people are going to start planning funerals, or are they all going to be handled like a this was handled like a presidential death? This was the, this is everybody pleased with that, especially if you are not going to uh, address at least portions of the one, one of the things that he certainly had a right to to disinvite the president, okay. He didn't respect the office. Just a minute. He didn't respect the office because he didn't respect the man. And the things that Donald Trump said about him, as I said just a few moments ago, the things about, that, that he said about John McCain, no one had ever spoken like that from John McCain. And John McCain was, was ticked off. He was ticked off to the end. I think that's, that's the reason why we, when he went in and gave the thumbs down. I mean, you look at the, re, look at the reaction on Mitch McConnell's face when he did it. I think he did that out of spite. To the president of the United States. So, and, and he wanted the last word. He got the, he got the last word. I mean, we're still talking about him, and he's, I think he may be in the ground by now. He is in the ground. But the, but the, the point is that um, he, he did win the show by literally stage managing, and again, by, by uninviting Sarah Palin, disinviting Sarah Palin, he started to rewrite history. So, I mean, that, with, with all the greatness that has been attributed to John McCain, by Republicans and Democrats, when he was the nominee of the Republican Party and he had to make his first major decision as the potential leader of the free world, he picked Sarah Palin. He whiffed. So I, why, why, why is there no recognition? Why is there no discussion of that as, as news organizations? As news organizations, when you've got four days to fill, why is there no discussion of that? Or the fact that she was disinvited to this funeral. Well, I, I can't. And speak. I'm not a fan of hers. Yeah. I'm just saying it seems to me that this is this is this is the media falling for the stage management of a United States senator, which is unusual on the Republican side of the aisle. It is, in, in term, because in terms, they loved him so much. In terms of the the in, what you said about the four days, there have been eight United States senators that have lined in, laid in state. In the Capitol Rotunda. Right. Eight. The last one was Daniel Inoue of Hawaii, a Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, that's not counting presidents or vice presidents, which are granted automatic lion state status. There have been 31 Americans. I, I think for those eight 
senators, if it's a four-day, three-day, two-day, is it presidential level? It's not going to be presidential level. It's not what we saw for Ronald Reagan. It's not what we saw for Gerald Ford. Not what we saw for Richard Nixon, certainly. Um, But this was a special time. This is a man that ran for president twice and almost won the nomination once and did win the nomination a second time. He's held in a different uh, place of honor in our country and should be. I would I would disagree with your assessment that it's the media loving him. The, the media is just trying to use him as a, a foil um, to to um, to present against President Trump in their two and a half year long canta- campaign of hashtag resistance. Like that's well, that's all this both. is. I think it's both. I think I they loved him. They gave him all kinds of passes. They propped him up until he ran against Obama. And they cut him down a little bit. I do remember a little bit of conversation about uh, the nomination of Sarah Palin and how it was actually something that he would not have gone with. It was something that was seemingly foisted upon him, how he wanted to go with Joe Lieberman as his running mate, but was advised not to by his Republican advisors. And the way it was characterized is as one of his regrets. So there was some conversation so he did, he about did, that. He didn't have the strength to say no to his advisors before he was even president. Well, and I think- I, it, it, re- it reinforces my position. If you're, if you're the leader, you should lead. If your advisors are telling you something you really don't want to do, you do what you want to do. So I think, you, in my view, can, you can cut away all this crap about what he really wanted. He ended up with Sarah Palin because he wasn't strong enough to stand up against her. And I will tell you, I was at that convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I will tell you, Sarah Palin rocked that convention unlike anything I had seen since Barry Goldwater. She rocked it. And at that particular time, John McCain, as a presidential candidate, was a bore. Back shortly. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Brewster, we're back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us on this Labor Day weekend, wherever you are. We hope you're enjoying your Labor Day time off, if you have time off. And again, congratulations to all the laborers of America for uh, all the work that uh, you do every day. And this is a weekend to celebrate your work and it's Labor Day, but hopefully you don't have to labor tomorrow, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> also, uh, on, on, a, on a local subject that I just want to take just a few, months, few mom, uh, moments to talk about, as you know, I'm a lifelong Chicago White Sox fan, and this afternoon, Ken Hawk Harrelson is the longtime voice, over 33 years as the voice of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, there was a big day for him at U.S. Cellular Field today. Uh, he's going to call his last game in a couple of weeks. But again, uh, this is one of the true great uh, you know, baseball broadcasters of all time, certainly in the city of Chicago, and we wish uh, Hawk well in his future as a, uh, in retirement and watching his grandkids. So good luck, Hawk. Let's now introduce our guests or allow them to introduce ourselves. And we begin with Amara Enya. 
So I am a public policy consultant. I'm also a lawyer and an organizer uh, here in the city of Chicago and also running for mayor. And what show, what, what, why did you choose to run for mayor? So this is actually my second time around. You were thrown off the ballot the first time. Yes, the first time around back in 2015. The issues are the same. The urgency is even more so uh, four years later. Uh, And the people, I think, are definitely ready for a drastic change in direction for the city of Chicago and a vision for where we can go into the future. One follow-up. There's a lot of people running for mayor of Chicago. Many of them are African-American. Does does splitting the African-American vote Uh, How do you address that to people that think that by doing that, you're going to help Rahm Emanuel be reelected? Well, so what's important to notice that we have a runoff system, meaning that any candidate that's going to win outright has to get 50 percent plus one in the first round in February. If no candidate gets that, then the top two vote getters actually face each other in the runoff. And so the fact that we have many candidates there, I think 11 or 12 at this point, is really, one, a testament to the fact that this that leadership has to change in the city. But it also means that what is going to make the difference is who can get their message out, who can mobilize people and who resonates with people. And that's that is who will get the support enough to hopefully get either a win outright or go into the runoff. Jeff Hom also joins us. Jeff, nice to have you with us. Thank Tell you. us a little bit about who you are. So I'm the uh, Midwest Regional Chairman for the Young Republican National Federation, which is kind of a lot of words. Um, the YRNF is a national organization of young chapter, young Republican chapters. Um, I actually used to be uh, the president of the Chicago Young Republicans. Uh, I was doing that for probably about four years. Um, but so we stay involved. I stay involved at the national level, um, trying to create new chapters and, you know, kind of uh, spark those brush fires of liberty across the country. Um, oh, I, I noticed you're wearing the flag of Chicago on your lapel. That's correct. But it's upside down. That's correct. That means that you're looking for a candidate. <laughs> I can't I can't say I'm, I'm I'm one of Rom's biggest fans. But but because we have nonpartisan elections. Allegedly. Allegedly. You could endorse uh, Mara. I, I could do that. Are you going to do that tonight on Beyond the Dark? <laughs> you know, Mara and I will have to talk in more detail about, uh, about the issues. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's actually one of the frustrating things about living, being Republican living in Chicago. We're coming up on uh, almost 100 years of uh, Democrat mayoral control of the city of Chicago. 1927 was the last Republican mayor. But look at our lakefront. It's great. I, yeah, sure. And, and look at the south and west sides, right? I mean, under, under the last 100 years of Democrat control, we've seen Chicago become one of the most segregated cities in the country. I mean, it's, you know, I, obviously we do need to change leadership. I'm wondering what it's going to take for people to understand that we need to change the R, or the D to an R, and, and uh, you know, actually try and fix would the city. Would you accept the Republican nominee if they voted, if voted for you? Would, would you accept it? Or well, could you not run? Again, there's, you're, you don't run as a Republican right, or Democrat. Right. But if, there, if you wanted to swing your support, you could bring all the Republicans in Chicago. There's about 15 of them. I <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a low blow, Bruce. It's easy to caucus. Actually, it's actually, easy to yeah, in a small hall. Actually, just, just the, the YR organization alone, we have about 400 people between the ages of 18 and, and 40. Um, I mean, there there are a large number of, of Republicans in the Chicago in the city of Chicago. Obviously, it's not uh, something that uh, well, it's, the, it's, the, la- it's the largest Republican county in the in the state of Illinois because of the population. Kelly Fennell, tell us who you are. Hi, Bruce. I am an associate attorney at Hughes Sokol Pierce Resnick and Dim. I focus on uh, immigration 
benefits and removal defense and humanitarian immigration benefits. And I'm also the chair of the advocacy committee of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Okay. Mike Corman, tell us who you are. Uh, retired Navy Master Chief, uh, 25 years, four combat tours. Uh, I've been in the construction business as a, as a uh, worker and now an executive, lead a large construction team. I uh, just want to, for all the tradespeople out there that I work with, uh, please have a great Labor Day tomorrow. Uh, and uh, just uh, rest in peace for uh, John McCain. Let's go to calls. Let's go to uh, Jorge listening to us on KTSM in El Paso, Texas. Go ahead. Uh, good evening. The reason I'm calling is because um, Arizona being the state in which I was born, uh, and John McCain being that senator of that state, that um, I feel that the uh, coverage that he uh, was uh, given, that um, he gained because of um, the coverage that uh, he gained was because of the courage he has had throughout his life. And um, he acquired that courage by way of his fathers and their fathers and uh, because of that courage inspirational to other americans who, who want to step forward and uh, do things that are courageous and because the coverage that he was given it inspires people then to do those courageous things that um, they otherwise would shy perhaps doing themselves okay good point let's go to steve in chicago listening to us on our flagship station wcgo go ahead steve yeah i was uh, just wondering if uh, McCain would have got this kind of wall-to-wall coverage if he would have supported if he would have supported Trump in the primaries, and then um, supported him all throughout the two years of Trump's uh, presidency. I just wonder if he would have got the same coverage on CNN and MSNBC. Uh, I don't think so. Does anybody else believe he would? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he would have gotten the same kind of lauding. I mean, the, to, to the media. The, the only good Republican is the last Republican, and John McCain obviously can no longer run for office, and so that's why he's suddenly elevated by the media that hated him in 2008. By the way, one thing, and I've said this, uh, this is both Republicans and Democrats, the one thing the media loves is they love a turncoat. They love someone that will turn on their own party, and because of that, John McCain frequently turned on his own party. I mean, when you go back to 2008, the one thing that was part of his political biography at that time was that all of his colleagues in the Senate hated him. They didn't like him. I think I would object to calling him a turncoat, especially given uh, his military service. Sure, he did. Well, he was a political he, turncoat as far as re- many Republicans are concerned, though. I, he was. Well, you know, when you do his a politics, thumbs down on Obamacare after you, after you campaign for it. Yep. A lot of Republicans don't like that. Didn't he try to own that that. by calling himself a maverick and sort of running on this notion of being unpredictable and being... No, but I'm saying media media loves mavericks. They love people that are going to tell tales out of school. And, you know, I mean, he was on, what, 72 times I'd meet the press. So that doesn't... I would bet that it was probably a lot of... Yeah, leaking of information to NBC over the years. Too. I, I, want, I want to mention, so, you know, some of the people that spoke, and this really has little to do with the media coverage. Lieberman, Kissinger, President Bush, Biden, Larry Fitzgerald, wide receiver for the Phoenix, uh, Arizona Cardinals, President Obama, Speaker Ryan. This was this was a bipartisan. I, I, I listened to some of uh, uh, Vice President Biden's comments last week in Phoenix or this past week in Phoenix. There was a love there between those two men. I mean, there was a, it's certainly an, an appreciation of the two no, of them. It was a fair-weathered friendship, I think, at, at most, right? It's, especially if you look at what happened to him in 2008 when he was running for president. Um, all of the media that loved him suddenly abandoned him, right, and would play up all the negative storylines. I mean, they, they went completely claws out for, for Sarah Palin, right, who was a Republican woman. 
Things have happened so much since 2008, I think, with the current presidents that, I, that I'm actually not surprised in how the media is handling this. I think they're seeing what we have currently, and there's a lot of nostalgia to me around how they're covering exactly. Senator McCain, how they're covering his record, um, the things that they choose to amplify and the things that they don't amplify. I read something. Well, one, go ahead. I read something recently where, when we were talking about the attendees of his funeral, um, where John McCain uh, invited people who stabbed him in the front, right? If you stabbed him in the front, he was okay with that because at least he could understand, you know, what was going on. But um, uh, among the list of, of uninvitees from um, uh, to his funeral were John Weaver and the, his two people that managed his 2008 campaign mm-hmm. that, co- that cooperated with the uh, people that wrote, I think it was Mark Halperin that wrote Game Change mm-hmm. and, you know, made it seem like he was, you know, a bumbling buffoon. So they stabbed him in the back and John McCain uninvited them to his funeral. I really like what you said so about he was, So he was now is that good or bad? I think I think that that's I think that's that's incredibly honorable and I think that that's a level a level of honor honor that people should aspire to have. Okay, let me ask you this. If you're a journalistic organization, this is the first time I've heard that story. If you're a journalistic organization, you've got 4 days, is that a story is that part of the story to tell? That this I, I would describe that as as this is a tough politician. Mm-hmm. You stab him in the front, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get your you know what cut off. I mean that's part of the story, but that was not part of the story, right? The 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 the, the, the revenge that he sought, the bitterness that he demonstrated, was not covered in any of this. This was a deification of a guy who was already a hero. Because of the, because of what he went through. Well, deification is a really strong word in this okay. scenario. That's why I used it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say it's that. I think we're going to see a very sharp drop off now that yes. he is in the ground. Well, yeah. Fair winds well, following seas, yeah, uh, Senator McCain. It's going to be a significant drop off. Um, I really like what you said about nostalgia. I felt nostalgic. I, as a Republican not in the Trump mold, I felt nostalgic for what I saw this week from the Republican Party that I grew up in and have been a part of for the last 20, you know, 30 years. But, Mike, was that the wake you were looking? You, you were looking at his funeral. Were you seeing the funeral of that Republican Party and the people in that room, people that filled that cathedral yesterday? There were 62 million million Americans who voted against those people and those policies. They were all there. They were on display. I don't know if that's accurate. And the American people said, no soap. Back shortly from Chicago. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City, just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood. We continue. Let's go to Youngstown, Ohio, where 
Tom is listening to us on WPIC out of Sharon, Pennsylvania. Go ahead. First of all, Bruce, uh, happy uh, Labor Day to you and your guest. Thank you. Uh, You you know, number one, um, as far as Trump is concerned, he is a counterpuncher. And if you recall, and and by the way, let let me see also that I pulled the lever for John McCain. And it was based on the fact that I didn't like Barack Obama's policies, and it was based on the fact that uh, I, I acknowledged uh, his uh, time served as in the military in, in the way he served it. But, but here's the thing. Trump is a counterpuncher. When, when McCain called all of Trump's followers crazies, that was a personal insult, insult to me and a deep one because I liked McCain up to that point. And I found, when I found out that McCain sent one of his representatives over to Europe to uh, look into that uh, dossier, that fake dossier business, that was even a lower hit below yeah. the belt. Now, now, when you combine that with, you know, I, granted, John McCain, you know, he definitely has physical injuries. He probably has some mental injuries. But how many people do we have in this country over the years, and especially even now with Afghanistan and Iraq, but still from Vietnam and some even from Korea, who have mental physical, emotional uh, injuries equal to or even greater than John McCain's. And are we going to celebrate those heroes the way we do John McCain? And and one last thing, Bruce, and that is, you know, John McCain, uh, I I voted for for Donald Trump, and I did it because I looked back and I saw Bob Dole, I saw saw John McCain, and I saw Mitt Romney. They did not have the fire in the belly. They weren't willing to go for the jugular. And I saw this country going further and further to the left. If, If John McCain had more uh, presidential stature when he was running, and by that I mean a, a, a plan, by that I mean enthusiasm. Right. As you pointed out, he seemed to be lackluster. I, I, you know, we wouldn't even be talking about a President Trump because there, because John McCain, there, there would not have been a Obama to follow him, and there would have been no reason for Trump to, to jump in there. I think I think there's something to be said for that. You know, one of the big issues in 2008 uh, was the economic uh, collapse that was uh, facing the nation and the bailout and uh, all, all the problems on Wall Street. And you'll remember in the middle of that campaign, John McCain basically acknowledged to the American people that he really didn't know that much about the economy. I mean, he, he took time out. He he didn't have a plan. I mean, he he looked weak during that particular time. So. Uh, again, you can talk about, you know, where mistakes were made in those last three campaigns, but I agree with you. John McCain was not a great campaigner for president, and also he was he was flying in the face of history. He was running against Barack Obama. There was a movement, all these people that loved him, you know, for the last four days, they were for Barack Obama, or many of them were for Barack Obama. I mean, the reason that Barack Obama was win, one was not because he gathered all the African Americans in the country. He got, con- he got conservative and moderate Republicans from suburbia who normally would vote for the Republican candidate. They the said media. no to John McCain and the media. They went for Barack Obama. I mean, that's why. But, but John McCain what was, what did not rally. He did not rally the troops in 2008. Well, well, yeah, but keep in mind, I, I'm not sure there's any Republican that could have taken on in, in the in the world of George W. Bush barely winning in 2000, eight years of war, of which I was part of. Uh, time in Iraq and time in Bosnia and Kosovo, I don't think there is any Republican that could have beaten Barack Obama. None. I don't think there's no, but, any. But I'm, I'm not going to argue against that. 
So whether whether he ran a lackluster campaign or not, I think is relatively irrelevant. Well, I, he, he wasn't. I think win. Jeff's point is though that one thing that one thing that the Democrats love and the media love is they love lackluster Republican presidents. And I've said, before, <laughs> right. look, look at the Republican. Ronald Reagan. Look at I'm, well, Reagan no, actually I'm not went around about the him. Media I'm talking about him since that time. But but here's the point, and I've made this many times. You look at the American voter. You know, I a few moments ago I was talking about that John McCain was insulted by Donald Trump, and he still Donald Trump still won the Republican primary. Let's look at general elections. The American people they rejected John McCain, they rejected Bob Dole, they rejected George W. Bush for a second time, and and, and in a cu- couple of cases they were running against draft dodgers. I mean that's the that's the elected. Yeah. Being, a, being a war hero doesn't mean anything. It doesn't get you elected It doesn't mean what it used to mean. No, it does not. And also, what, I mean, there was such a stark contrast in 2008 between John McCain and Barack Obama. I think it's just the same thing about the current at the time and where the energy was at the time. And it wasn't with John McCain. No. Now, and I also well, think that's why they recruited uh, Sarah Palin to be his running mate yes. to and try to energize their base. You want to talk about getting stabbed in the front, right? So John McCain has lifelong injuries or had lifelong injuries from his time as a POW and that meant he couldn't use a keyboard and there was a there was a uh uh an Obama campaign ad that came out showing that he saying that he doesn't answer emails as proof of how out of touch he was right the guy received injuries serving his country and effectively got made fun of it for it in a political ad oh that's that's, a, that's the George and George nobody, H. W. nobody Bush called him out for milk it. I mean, that's, absolutely. It's exactly that's, that's, the that's same thing. Let's go to uh, Kim in uh, Verdon, Illinois, listening to us on WMAY. You there, Kim? Rich, are you in Salinas, California? Go ahead. Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Um, I have a contract to uh, all the moments we're talking about. I don't know if any uh, McCain ended up doing. He did uh, or something trying to speak. You know, Rich, I'm going to have to say I'm going to have to say goodbye because we, we have a bad line. I, we're not saying goodbye because of the, the 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 content of your call or the content of your heart. Uh, you just have a very bad line, and we're going to have to move on. And uh, the theme music is playing, so we've got to move on. Uh, we are through with hour number one of Beyond the Beltway. For listening to us on radio, we have another full hour coming up. If you're watching us on television, we'll see you next week. hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. 
Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's work, weekend update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe, catch fresh fish for dinner, even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. This is Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we're joined around the table by Amara Enya. She's a Democrat, a policy advisor, community organizer, and she's running for mayor of the city of Chicago. Kelly Fennell is here. She's a Democrat and also an immigration lawyer for many years. Jeff Halm is with the Young Republican Federation. He's the Midwest, Midwest chair. chair. And Mike Corman joins us. He is U.S. Navy retired and always nice to have you with us. Phone numbers are 1-800-723-8289. If you want to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo. Well, Kelly, the last time you've been on this, you've been on the show a couple of times in the last several months, and we've always talked about immigration, which is your area of expertise. Because of everything that's been happening in the country for the last couple of weeks, the, the nation's focus has been elsewhere. But yeah, we look back the clock, uh, turn back the clock a couple of weeks ago, and immigration was the hot issue. So what's been happening in the last couple of weeks? Primarily, what's happening with the children on the border is 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 the federal government making any headway at all in in reuniting families with their parents? 
So the ACLU has been stepping up and doing a lot of the legwork to get the reunification process going, but there are still children that haven't been reunited with their families. I don't have the exact numbers on the top of my head. Um, and family detention is still a huge issue. Um, there are three facilities in the United States where we're detaining women and children. Many of them are asylum seekers. So that's still going on, and it's been going on, and I really don't see an end in sight. In this administration, they're talking about ramping that up. What's the, what is the pro, you explained this a couple of weeks ago, but please uh, re-explain it tonight to our audience. Uh, if someone wants to come to the country and they want to seek asylum here, what should they be doing? Well, what should happen is if someone presents themselves at a border, the law says that they have to be inspected and processed for either entry or not being allowed to enter the United States. They can't just be turned away without being screened. Um, that's actually something that still does happen. So someone presents at the border, they says, I'm afraid to go back to my home country. Um, they're usually they're detained. Um, the first facility sometimes that they put them through is either called the ice box because it's so cold with concrete floors, um, where they're usually for a day. And then after that, there's another facility that the women and children call the dog pound, which is literally cages, where you have these women and children in cages. And then they make their way to a family detention center, um, like the one in Dilly, Texas, where so they're So during, during the first two steps that you've described, you've described the physical conditions. Right. But again, are they, uh, what about their ability to, to go to the bathroom, to, to eat, uh, to bathe themselves? I mean, are those basic human uh, facilities available to them? Not always. And these two facilities at the beginning are temporary facilities. As far as the food, usually it's like a stale sandwich. Um, and then for blankets in these places, they use like the, the, the aluminum-looking blankets that you get mm -hmm. after you run a marathon are really the only um, materials they have there available. And the whole point is, once you get to the detention center, is you go through something called a credible fear interview. In the credible fear interview, you tell your story to an asylum officer, and the, that asylum officer has the authority to say, okay, you have a possible chance at asylum, we're going to put you in the court system, or no, I don't believe you have a case for asylum, you're going to be removed. You can review that negative decision with an immigration judge, but at that immigration judge review, you don't have the right to an attorney, and the attorney doesn't even technically have the right to speak. But where are you, once you go to this, when, you, when you've talked to the, uh, the case officer there, where do you go once you've had the visit with them? Do you go back to, a, do you go to a new place to spend the night, or where do you go? So these credible fear interviews happen in the detention centers, um, and it's actually, you know, in Dilly's, um, they've got... The trailer where Billy the court is. Billy is the name of the facility in That's Texas. That's the South Texas Family Residential Center. Um, there's a trailer with a court in it, and there's also a trailer that's the asylum office. And they're literally trailers. The when, when, trailer. do you, when do you talk to a lawyer, or how do you get a lawyer if you want a lawyer? Well, these the majority of immigration detention centers are in remote areas where access to counsel is very difficult. Um, I'm very lucky to have been able to volunteer with the CAR Pro Bono Project, which is an umbrella of a bunch of different organizations. And volunteer attorneys come from all over the world, and they spend a week in this facility providing pro bono representation to these women and children. For how long? Um, I've been going down since Dilly opened, and, I mean, usually it's a week volunteer stretch, and then there are two staff attorneys. I'm aware of Give, it, give us now. an example of someone who is seeking asylum 
and they've gone before the, the, the officer, the, the judge, and they're successful. Give me a successful story that you know is a factual. Right. Um, there was a woman who I represented, and um, a colleague of mine won her asylum case. She did make it through Dilly, and I, it took about two to three years for her case to be finalized before the immigration court, but her and her children did win asylum in the United States. But what did she say? Um, what was it that she said that got her in? I, I want to know what, what the person says to the judge to get in, and I want to know what do they say to the judge where the judge says, no way. So what you is supposed to happen, if someone says they're afraid to go back to their home country, they're supposed to be processed for a credible fear interview at the border. That's just the way it's supposed to work. Um, what when we're you say processed, explain what you mean by that. Triggering the entire chain of events that I just described. Okay. Um, so now it's more difficult. Asylum's very, very hard. The majority of asylum cases are denied. Um, you have to prove that you either have suffered some sort of terrible persecution in the past or that you will suffer persecution if you go back to your home country on account of one of five grounds, right? So you have race, religion, ethnicity, political opinion, and particular social group. And if you are just a victim of crime, for example, this is why the majority of gang violence cases get denied. If you live in a country that's plagued by gang violence, you're not going to get asylum. You have to prove that you specifically will be targeted for a protective reason. What about if you have been uh, a victim of spousal abuse? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. So um, what we see now in those cases is um, the attorney general recertified a decision, a presidential decision of the Board of Immigration Appeals to himself um, and wrote his own decision basically saying that um, it's very difficult, almost impossible for someone who is a victim of domestic violence or a victim of gang violence to get asylum in the United States. And he can do that because the immigration courts are actually under the executive branch, right? So they're not independent courts. So the attorney general can look at a decision and rewrite it. And even recently, in a recent case that he rewrote by him, that he rewrote, he actually went so far as to remove one of the judges in the court in Philadelphia and put in another judge to have a ruling that, that, that he was more comfortable with. Have the, the, the Trump administration asked for more judges? Are they getting more judges? Yes. Um, we actually even recently have a couple more new judges in Chicago. So, yes, we are getting more judges. You say and a couple. Do you mean two? Yes, we got two, I think. Or, and then there's the one. To- do you know the total number of new judges that are there to deal with this process? Um, I thought they were going to ask for like 5,000 new judges. I mean, I know we do need a lot more, right, because we do have huge backlogs in the court. Like if I go into court today, I'm not going to have a trial for three years because we're that backlogged. And the detained docket, which moves quickly, um, in July I got scheduled for a final trial in October. Okay. We're going to follow up on that. Other guests have questions to ask as well. We're going to this through the specifics of immigration, going well beyond the headlines, explaining to you exactly what this is all about. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. 
That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Kelly Fennell is here. She is an uh, immigration attorney. She's joining our guests. And uh, she was taking us through the process of what happens when someone is seeking uh, asylum in the United States. Obviously, there are people that seek asylum and there are people that are just trying to you know, sneak across the border and get in. But right now we're talking about the people that would maybe going through a, a process that exists but the process that you're explaining to us is, doesn't seem to be one that's going to be simple for anyone. And one of the questions that I want is, where you are a pro bono attorney, but I read stories about how people who are coming to this country, primarily recently from, from Central America, they're spending you know, $10,000, $15,000 on coyotes to get them here. And then when they come here, I've read about others that are hiring lawyers so I guess my question is, someone who is poor and coming with a family from, let's say, Guatemala, where do, they, where do they get the money for the coyotes and where do they get the money for the lawyers? How, um, do you, how does someone who's poor save $20,000? Right. So when you're talking about um, someone who is does live in poverty, what I typically see is people, you know, a couple family members will sell their cars, someone will sell their house, they'll scrape together and borrow enough and figure out between their family or their village, depending on how tight the community is, to get this person out. And I find that that's something that people do and are willing to do to help someone else as if they really have no choice but to flee. And what about attorneys? You say pro bono attorneys are there. Right. But are there are there you, you mentioned that you're with the Immigration Lawyer Association. I mean, are there are there some lawyers there that are maybe taking advantage of certain certain people? I mean, so there's good and bad with each profession. Right. Sure. And um, I think now, especially with the fear instilled in the immigrant community, we're seeing that happen a lot more often. I mean, now immigration's a hot topic. So you have a lot of people that might not know what they're doing that are looking to make a few make a quick buck. Um, I don't believe that everyone who wants to get into it or start a new field is doing it because they're malicious or just for the money, but there can be drastic consequences. Okay. And if someone goes through the process, you say if someone is rejected and, and, and doesn't go for the hearing, uh, they, are they sent back immediately? Are they deported? What, what is their status if they're rejected for asylum? So if your asylum application is denied, you know, you have a final order of removal. Unless you appeal it, you can appeal to the Board of Immigration Appeals, and then the removal order isn't final until you've exhausted the judicial process. Which I ask how lasts how long? Oh, if you're talking about appealing all the way up to the Court of Appeals, you could be in proceedings for five, ten years, maybe more. It just depends on how long your case gets bounced So where are you living at that point? In the United States. So you're living in the United States. You're waiting for a judge to say, yes, we will give you asylum. In the meantime, you're living in the United States. Right. 
and you can be having a job and you can be sending money back to Mexico that, or Guatemala or wherever you're from. So the employment authorization um, isn't automatic with asylum applications. Your asylum application has to be pending 150 days before you're eligible for a work permit. Um, and then if you do anything to stall your case, they ask for a continuance, move to a different jurisdiction, the time on that stops. And you have to have the full 180 days go on your case being filed before you're eligible for a work permit. Okay. Mike Corman, you're in the construction business uh, for 30 years. Uh, I would assume that in the last 30 years, people have knocked on your door who want to work for you. Some of them are from south of the border, uh, whether it's Mexico or Guatemala. What happens when they knock on the door of your company? Well, it's uh, it, it really depends. I mean, most of the time... Uh, I've I've mostly worked for large organizations that require uh, employers to follow E-Verify. Uh, so that's, for me, I have not run across someone uh, in my labor pool that I work with in the, in the trades that isn't documented. That said... Explain uh, what E-Verify means to sure. you in your construction business. Sure, absolutely. Well, any, any large employer, I think it's 50 or more employees, is required to use the E-Verify system. So every time I take a new civilian job, I am required to provide at least two, if not three, pieces of identification, including a driver's license, I think a passport or birth certificate. I have the advantage of having a military ID, so it's a fairly straightforward process for me. I have to provide copies and Social Security number to my employer. They type that information in. Are you legitimate? Yes or no? And, and then I'm allowed to, uh, to work for that employer. Back to you, Kelly. The people that you're running into who are coming into this country who are waiting uh, for the adjudication for this 10- or 15-year period. They're seeking asylum. We're just talking about the people that are trying to do it legally. Do they get identification cards? How, how are they identified? So once someone... What, what, are they, what information are they bringing to you? Because they're, they're probably not bringing a passport. Actually, that's a common misconception. Several of them do have passports, especially if they end up going through Mexico. If they are detained, though, ICE is going to hold on to that passport until the proceedings have concluded. And they won't. They don't get it back. They can get a copy of it. How are they identified? How do they identify themselves? I mean, people come with. If you've got birth certificates, other documents, your incredible statements. If no documents are available, um, and then with the work permit, you're, you are able to get a state ID. Okay, well, I guess what I want to clarify is, mm-hmm. when when someone has come to you, and and they're in the the jurisdiction of the United States government, and they're being interrogated, and they're going to these several holding areas, and they're making their way up to to see a judge of some kind, immigration judge. At any point, does the United States government, immigration, naturalization, do they issue anyone an identification card where they take their picture and they take their name so that person could go and knock on, on Mike's door and use that as at least one piece of information? Um, no. So really the only way you're going to get an ID from U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services is if it's something like a work permit or a permanent resident card. Where do they get that? Um, you have to be eligible for a work permit or you have Which to be means? eligible for permanent residence. It depends. So work permits, you have to be in a status that allows you to work or have an application pending that allows you to work. You don't just knock, You can't just knock on the door, start going through the process and say, here, give me my work permit now. That's not at all how it works. How does it work? So with the asylum application, you have to file for asylum. Your application has to be pending for 150 days, and at that time you can file for your employment authorization unless you do something to delay your case. And who do you apply to? U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Okay. The agency. 
And there are other ways, for example, like say someone who's been here for over 10 years, gets put in proceedings, has a spouse, parent, or child who's a U.S. citizen or permanent resident, has a clean criminal record, and doesn't have any other issues in their case, can file an application for green car, a green card with the judge, and then those people are immediately eligible for work authorization. So it just it depends, right? Or if someone, say, like, I am filing for a green card for my spouse. Well, with that application for my spouse's green card, we also apply to get my spouse a work permit. So that's a very big question that covers a lot well, of Well, I guess my question is if, if they're coming in and, they're, and, and we're talking about someone that is still a citizen of another country, the United States government and the immigration justices, they are or case officers, they are determining whether or not this person is going to be allowed into the country legally and given a card. My question is how long does that process take? And once they get this card this identification card, how can that identification card be turned into a Social Security card? Well, so if you're authorized to work in the United States, you need a Social Security number to work, right? So if you're authorized to be employed, you're going to get a Social Security number. Okay. But that may take a long time. Right. Well, even now, we um, we, were, we see a, a huge backlog with processing of employment up authorization. So... Employment authorization applications used to take about, you know, three months to process. Now they're taking about five to seven. And but, but, but once you have the authorization, right. getting the Social Security card is a fairly straightforward right. process. Yes. That's almost instant. Exactly. So you, 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 to work, you have to have a Social Security number to, for those wages, the FICA wages, to be paid right. into well, the Social Security system. So but my question now, to you, you can have U.S. Immigration will work with the Social Security offices, and there's a box on the form I-765 that you can check that says, do you want a Social Security number? If so, answer these questions and submit these documents. And, and then you get one. Right. Yeah. Do, how often do you run into people who have come to the United States? Do any of them seek asylum in Mexico first? Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, that that has happened. Um, and there is a community of refugees living in Mexico City. The one thing that... I think gets lost in that narrative is the fact that the law doesn't say that you have to seek asylum in every single country that you travel through. That's just not what the law says. And sometimes asylum in Mexico is an option and sometimes it's not. I've worked on a case for a woman who had asylum in Mexico, subsequently became a victim of human trafficking, and then came to seek asylum here. After going through that, there was a Honduran journalist who obtained asylum in Mexico and then was only murdered in Mexico by the same person that you know, they were fleeing. So, You see the same kind of thing in Europe, too. Um, people that got asylum status in the EU because they were fleeing Syria or wherever um, only to, for their, the people that victimized them to follow them and that there's suddenly nothing that the country can do because both of them are asylum seekers. Mike, back to you. When someone shows up at your place looking for work and they've got a Social Security card, there's a persecutor how card. do you know that that's not a, uh, uh, a phony Social Security card? And does, and does that happen very often? Well, that's a really good question. And it's actually it's a, it's an important question because it's been in the news recently with the murder of uh, Molly Tibbetts in yes. Iowa. Yes. The, per, the, 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 the man that committed that or allegedly committed that crime apparently had a valid social security number meaning uh, when you plug in the social security number not all num- you can't just punch in random numbers there is a system of numbers and if you have one digit the last digit is right. not correct compared to the other eight digits it right. gets rejected right. well somehow he had a social security number and was not supposed to have one 
So he was, in theory, working legally. It wasn't found out until the investigation happened that, he, that it actually under wasn't a falsified, under, under falsified under a falsified security number. That's right. Okay. When I come back, I want to find out how many how many falsifications you run into and how how do you deal with it. And then I also want to hear from Amara, who's looking at it from a political standpoint. How do we put all this together? This is a very, very complex situation. I'm glad we're spending some time on explaining the details tonight. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Get rid of the liberal side. We don't, we don't have a middle. Bruce Dumont back. We're thanking you for joining us on Labor Day, and we're talking about labor to some extent, people who live elsewhere who are trying to get into this country, either legally or illegally. And uh, it's it's caused, obviously, the uh, illegal immigration debate that we've had in this country, it seems, uh, forever. Uh, just when we think we may be getting close to a resolution, something comes up, and uh, we seem to be moving away from it. We had a deadline at one point. It looked like the Republicans were going to be in charge and, and uh, take charge of at least getting something through the House. That has not happened. Uh, and again, uh, with the elections coming up, I think uh, we're probably going to have immigration and illegal immigration sort of you know, brought up again. So we're talking about it uh, tonight. We have a, an immigration attorney here who uh, uh, is giving us sort of a step-by-step as to what the procedure is. And I think, uh, I think my eyes are somewhat glazing over by the intricacies and the difficulty that it takes <laughs> for someone. We're, we're not even talking about the people that are doing it you know, Ill- illegally. That's another whole probably show explaining what happens there. But again, what, what happens, and again, this is a, a major issue, and I want to get, get your response, Mike. We've been talking about you because your your company and the the construction industry is a is a major industry that requires additional help. So my question to you cuz you were explaining when people knock on your door they're supposed to bring uh you know identification. What type of identification do you keep and uh, is there anybody that that you hire that checks out the veracity of these documents that are given to you. Yeah, actually, it's uh, so uh, you have to give a copy. There's a form, and you have to give a copy. There's a one column of the form, and then there's a and, and then two of the, from this column of the form. Mm-hmm. And you have to provide copies of uh, either a passport, birth certificate, or a driver's license, in my case, military ID. or some, And there's a long list of things, state ID card that you can give, and those have to be entered into E-Verify. If those are entered into, and again, any employer over 50 employees is required and to use E-Verify. And E-Verify is, is, is federal, by the government, federal program. federal program. You, you plug those, uh, that information into E-Verify, and then you get 
clearance to hire that person. But that's the same. That's the same form that every every person working in America has to go it's, through, right? It's, it's the I, mean, I nine form. Yeah, yeah, it's the I one nine. that's familiar yeah. to all of us, where it's like, yeah, you got to provide this and one of these two, and then right. Well, I wouldn't see everybody if you do, if you haven't worked for a large enterprise, you've never seen oh, this before. It's a family fair, fair business, enough. or yeah, you as know. you say, that it's it's fifty, 50 or above. Fifty or above. Okay, which is most of the. I mean, that's most of the businesses. Right. In the country, is no, 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 no. Most most of America is small business. Or below below fifty. Most yeah. small business is below fifty. Certainly. I thought small business was two fifty or below. No, fifty and below for E-Verify. It's different for different. I mean, they still have well, to do I mean, the I. They still have to do the I nine right. So the I nine is required. It's just the the E-Verify is not required right, at that right. level. Exactly right. But again, that's it's it's fifty or more for E-Verify. That's right. For E-Verify. So would anything change if? E-Verify was reduced to, let's say, five employees. Well, you would, think in, you would think that it would. I mean, you would think that you would get better enforcement of the rules. If you have a, if you have a um, with, without trying to cast aspersions, a small landscaping business, which tends to draw a great deal of immigrant labor. Right. Um, you know, if you, if you brought that number down, in theory, you wouldn't be able to hire uh, labor, day labor, okay. if you will. Any, anyone that's been outside of a Home Depot in an urban area at 8 a.m. any day of the week knows that there are day laborers just standing around waiting to be picked up for jobs. And they're paid by cash. They they're typically don't have the best working conditions. Um, but that's how a lot of people get around those rules for uh, E-Verify or for, or and for in, small businesses. In, in your opinion, are those people that are waiting out there do they likely have a social security card? Most cases, I would say they probably do. I would say the majority do. They do. Well, a lot of so that too depends on how long someone's been here. Um, I don't know when the procedure to change a, or get a social security number changed because it was obviously before I started practicing. But I do know that way back in the day, if someone was here, it was a lot easier to get a social security number. That's I, right. So is is someone? If someone uh, has a false Social Security card uh, or a false driver's license, does that is, – is that a crime? And if so, does that crime send you to deportation court? And should it? It depends would be the answer to that question. Okay. Um, so identity theft is, is – It's a, a huge problem. It's a huge – it's a huge – that will get you in deportation proceedings. And depending on the statute, there might be nothing you can do. Um, or, um, you know, fake ID, if you, right. not even identity theft, if you create a fake ID, like some of us may have done before we, when we were in college, <laughs> um, you know, not that me. would be a crime for sure. Okay. Well, right. the question that I so would have is how widespread, uh, we hear about the, the theft of, 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 uh, IDs. What about the fake ID business that you'd referenced to you know, anyone that was 18 and wanted a drink? They, they knew how to get one. I mean, how widespread is that industry and who is policing that industry? Well, it's getting much, much harder because they have now started putting uh, not not devices, but the um, the federal government has now raised the standards for driver's licenses for, right. for sec- identification. Yeah, for for, State, right. We right. had a problem, I think, here in Chicago a few years ago. It was a huge um, bust on uh, someone who was, or people who were actually creating these fake IDs for for individuals. You know, they, they, years ago. You know, they keep you, they keep updating so the dollar the, bills and everything yeah, right. else. From eventually, a, from a political standpoint, Amara, again, you're you're uh, you're a policy advisor. Uh, you mentioned that you want to run for mayor of Chicago. How big a deal is this? In, in so far as the day to day operations of a large city like Chicago, 
How, how bad is it that we may have, let's say, 10, 15 percent of our population that might be illegal? And that may be high, but I'm just picking that out for the sake of the argument. There's a lot of people that are upset by it. Are you upset by it? Is that too large a number of people that are in this country and we don't know who they are or where they're from? Well, I think the frustration for most people, at least most people that I've come in contact with, is the fact that this has been such a longstanding issue that could have been addressed years ago, uh, whether we had Democratic majorities or otherwise, that was not addressed. And so now it has become front and center, I think, this year when uh, President Trump um, with his executive orders. But the reality is that we, when we had the opportunity to address immigration as an issue, we didn't. And so we're still living with, with the results of that and still st- trying to struggle through. Most of the folks that I know who are going through the immigration process now, it's a lot different than it was years ago when I had family members that were going through the process. It was a lot different. It was still very time-consuming. It was still arduous. But now, just because of how complex it's gotten, it's almost it feels impossible to actually go through the process and have any hope of making it out on the other side. And so most recently, a friend of mine simply left the country, right? And I think that's, that's a very think, real phenomenon. I think that that complexity, right, the fact that we were talking, you know, in between segments here about costs $40,000 on average to, you know, just for legal costs to, to legally immigrate to the United States. The fact that the barriers are so high and people are attempting to do it the way that it's set out, which I agree is a broken system, and and that's people that decide that oh I don't want to do that or I don't I don't need to do that or it's you know more complex and decide to come here illegally. I think the fact that the barriers are so high creates a bunch of resentment because people are trying to do it the right way. I mean, some of the people who are most anti illegal immigration are recent immigrants right. because they've gone through the process and they're like, hey, if I can do it, yeah. why can't you? This is ridiculous that you get special treatment. Do you agree with that? I don't think. Did you tell me your parents feel that way, or was this was some other guest? (laughs) Oh, that was no, that was another guest. Okay. Um, I. I, But he was an immigrant. Right. The guest was an immigrant, and his parents were were very upset. They were they were of that same parroting what you just said. And I I do see that frustration a lot, Um, but then I do find after um, actually talking to people about the current state of our immigration system, especially in this political climate with everything going on, I find that once someone actually looks at the facts of immigration and how difficult and sometimes impossible it is to keep families together, that you see a lot of that resentment start to fade. Okay. By the way, Ron Babcock is listening to the show. He writes this, Immigration attorneys invariably favor these complicated and inefficient immigration laws and extol the virtues of immigrants because that's what butters their toast. False. I do this because I got to know refugees at my church and because I saw families get torn apart. I sat with a, do- with a girl who was in tears because her dad all of a sudden was gone. So I think to say that it butters our toast, that it's complicated, is ridiculous because so many of us have been out there advocating for comprehensive immigration reform. I take myself to D.C. 
every year to talk to Congress about our broken system. So I think that's absolutely incredible. Well, well, humanity <laughs> out of I think it takes the humanity out of it that the, that immigrants are human beings. That to say that yep. they are just it's to treat them as as widgets as though this is we're not talking about humans who have families who have hopes and dreams who want to who in many instances do are seeking a better life. That's something that I feel like we can't lose sight of because when we do lose sight of that, that's when we get people in cages. Well, and, but and again, well, when, when you when you have something a situation like that, um, you have people watching on television or listening to programs like this, hearing this story. And they're saying, okay, either I came to this country or I, I, I'm a natural-born citizen. I live here, and I've got three kids, and, I'm trying, and I have a job, and my, maybe my wife or husband has a job. And we're working hard to save our money to put our kids through school, to pay all the things, to pay the electric bill, to do all the things, go out once a week for, for dinner. I mean, we're doing all the things that most people would like to do, and, and they're saying, and, and I'm paying my taxes – and I don't want my taxes used for someone. I, I feel sorry for the person right. who's in Guatemala who has the same problems I have. I really do feel sorry for them. And maybe I'm a, a religious person and I pray for them. But the point is, you, you, can't, you can't pay for everybody. That's yes. a There's good not point. enough money to and pay for everybody. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, so there are several undocumented people here that are paying taxes. And okay, one, one second. I want... We're going to a break. I want you to give a full explanation of that because that's the frustration of a lot of people listening this evening. They would like to help, but they say, you know what? What about me? I'm an American citizen. I was born here. I'm raised here. I pay taxes here. What about me first? Back shortly. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Mr. Mont back in Chicago. Um, we're describing a very complex issue. Solving a complex issue is complex. It takes a lot of time. It's a lot simpler just to build a wall. Whether the wall work, whether whether the wall works or not, won't work. It uh, gives peace of mind to some people. Um, I do want to go back to where we were before the break oh. about the taxes, right? Um, so I think there is a common uh, misconception that no one, that undocumented people just don't pay taxes. I have several undocumented clients who actually have been paying taxes. And then also, if you're looking at DACA recipients, for example, who have come forward, submitted to background checks, have work authorization, they're paying taxes. You're talking about but payroll not, taxes, right? They're and they're paying their income taxes. But these people are also, and the government's taking taxes from their paychecks as well, and they're not eligible for welfare. They're not eligible for benefits under the Affordable Care Act. So they're funding these programs, and they're not getting these benefits. 
Are they well? Are they getting no welfare from state governments? I mean, for the record, I'm funding Social Security, and I'm probably never going to see a dime of it, right? So it's it's a it's a position that's awful to be in. And, but I, you know, does that entitle me to some special treatment? No, but okay. but that's a different argument. That's a different argument. That's a funding. Well, the, the pay, and pay, I mean, paying in and not getting benefits. That, so it's yeah, but you're speculating yeah. that you but won't. Then this too, is real. But then, but what I see there too is I see both sides of the coin. So someone will say, well. We're funding welfare for undocumented people. No, you're not. Undocumented people aren't eligible for welfare. They're not getting the benefits. So, so they don't use Medicaid or anything like that, like going to the emergency room? And I mean, people who are sick go to the emergency sure. room, and I don't think anyone would suggest that you know, no, someone should just not, die. But, but, and also, too, but are I they think using no, but what, but no program what, like what that? U.S. citizen what, children what, what, what of undocumented people what, are eligible for benefits. What you just said about people going to emergency rooms. I mean, that's something that happens, right? And we yeah. see that with uninsured people across right. the board, the un- the right? I mean, if you're uninsured, you have so, to but go I'm, to I'm, the I'm, going, I'm going back to my I'm going back to my hardworking American taxpayer. Okay, when they go to the emergency room, they have to pay. If someone is there who's being treated, who's an illegal immigrant, is the illegal immigrant paying? They're going to get a bill from the hospital just like everyone else. It's not like. Is that bill going to be paid? Lots, no. lots of bills don't get paid whether they're illegal exactly. immigrants or not. Yeah, I mean, so I, okay. I get that. that so my, certain... my, 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 I'm coming back to, I'm coming back to the hardworking American who's got three kids. If he goes to the hospital or in the waiting room, and I've heard this story from listeners from California for 15 years now. If they go to a waiting room, sometimes they have to wait hours to get waited on. Because illegal immigrants are being served first. Is that right? I'm very skeptical that that's actually true. I, How would they be able to tell? And they don't usually screen that, at hospitals. Right. I don't even know that they're allowed to ask immigration status at a hospital. Sure, but okay, so the reason I bring it up is because you say they're not getting any public benefits, right? And so maybe not from the structured programs like welfare or, or housing benefits, Section 8 or whatever, but there are other public benefits that exist that people pay into with their property taxes. So like, for example, education. When, when there is somebody here who is illegal, um, who emigrate, immigrated here illegally, and is going to public school, that is a public benefit, right? When they're going in and using the Medicaid, uh, the Medicaid system, that is a public benefit. So it's easy to say that you know, they're not getting it from structured you know, welfare programs, but there's absolute public benefits that they are getting that, they're, that they may not be paying into. So then what, 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 what wealthiest country on earth? Sure, absolutely. And, and then you know, I mean the Supreme Court. Where does the money come from? Well, like? And this is well, the thing, though. No, no, no. Is, I want to hear. Where does the money come from? Listen, Mike? we've had immigrants coming to this country for hundreds of years, and we have figured it out up until the last twenty years. Absolutely, it's extremely frustrating that we that we. I mean, it's I so it frustrating. frustrating. And the Supreme that we can't Court of the United States already spoke to the issue of people getting public access to grade school level education regardless of immigration status sure but that's a public benefit isn't it yes well it's a public benefit because there's this notion of the public good this is the important thing this is the important thing to understand here right is that that americans are probably one of the most generous populations in the in the world right if you look at any of the charity figures all that kind of stuff i'm i'm super happy for legal immigration right but what i dislike about this debate is that if I'm not for complete open borders, that I'm somehow motivated by racial animus or something like that's that. But I don't think that that's which, what which, is, which is, is not saying, Which is not what this fine. conversation has been, and I, and I would, would thank you guys for, for not taking it to that level. But that's not the way it is outside of this room. It's either you're completely for open borders or 
you're a racist. Right? I, and that's, that's not, important. A that's not my experience. And this I think is my it's field. also important to on both sides to really be factual as much as possible. Absolutely. So there right. is a dominant narrative about uh, individuals who come here being able to use even the structured programs. And I think we do have to push back for the sake of being objective and honest about what the system is actually like to make sure that we don't let those narratives predominate either because it does affect how we're able to negotiate for a deal that actually works for everyone. Yeah, but I mean, if you go to any other country in the world, literally any other country, I mean, including Mexico, if you tried to live openly as an illegal alien and then made further demands that you should get special treatment, they would deport you immediately. So the, the United States is incredibly generous here, right? That doesn't mean that, to Bruce's point, there's a finite sum of money, and I agree that we are a rich country and that we can, f- we can somehow figure this out, but it, uh, it, there's, there's a lot of other things here. I'm not, I, sure, I'm not sure your comment that you just made about any other country. There are a lot of countries in Western Europe that are very wi- relatively willingly taking on uh, uh, immigrants that aren't coming legally. Like Germany? Like Germany, like Austria. Well, those like are asylum in trouble. No, no, no. Those are Germany in trouble because of it? Possibly. And, well, not possibly. I think Germany is in trouble. Angela Merkel politically Sweden is in trouble. Sweden is in trouble as well. I mean, these countries, be- because they, I, I, because I they, want, they the want to do the, they, they want to do the right thing. There's a lot of people that want to do the right thing, but we have to deal with a reality and, 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 and a limit financially of what we can do. Even though our heart may be in the right place, our pocketbook may not be then in the right Then why not place. let people come forward, get out of the shadows, submit to background checks, pay fines, and get work authorization? Because in my view, then we got to go. In my view, the idea that, that you're going to get with a, with a new law, that you're going to get people to come out of the shadows... I think is it doesn't make any sense. That's what happened the, with DACA. The people are not, yeah, but not, how many people did not? More people are are still in the shadows because of DACA, right? I not everybody came out question. to sign up for DACA. Right. Well, that okay. was because it was the end of the Obama administration. Well, I think I think the point is, I think expecting people to come out of the shadows and put their name on a government list, in my view, doesn't make any sense. I don't think it will happen. That's my opinion. We're out of time. I want to thank Amara Enya, Kelly Fennell, Mike Corman, and thank you very much, Jeff Hom, for being with us. Our thanks to thank Fritz you. Goldman and Sam Greenberg and Dan Dorfman. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger. And I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. 
Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood. <laughs> 